Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the speed of light and its potential to change how processors are built. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss tilt pan camera from Sony. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing? I had an interesting experience with my secondary monitor in that it started doing, I don't know if it's... In some kind of technology, there's always like the frequency thing of like the power creating this weird sounds and it could be all sorts of different types of sounds. In my situation, it seems like the monitor just started becoming worse after a while, but all of a sudden this week or so, it's been just making this brain rattling sound. So I had to replace it. I could not stand it anymore. I even had my headphones on sometimes where I could just kind of use it and pretend that it's not happening, but it's it somehow just sucked into my brain and it just it, I couldn't take it anymore. So I replaced the monitor and I got a BenQ PD2700U rolls right off the tongue, which is actually the same monitor that I got previously yeah. and also the same monitor that Ryan got. So yes. it, I knew it was going to be a good monitor. And I'm now using it in a vertical orientation, which is what I used my other monitor for. And it is very nice as a vertical monitor because it's super thin bezels. I mean, there is a bezel. And that's 4K too. Yeah, it's a 4K monitor and it's it's really nice. So it's it was definitely worth it, but it's it's kind of like one of those things where you don't want to upgrade until you have to, even though once you do it, you realize, yeah, this was a better uh, option. It was much better to just do this. So likely that wine was created by the power supply in the monitor itself, and that can be definitely an early warning sign that your monitor is about to go bust or burst into flames or whatever. So it's good that you replaced it. But there's another interesting what? note about that high-frequency noise. Uh, people who actually investigate hauntings and in, in people's homes and other buildings and things, but not... <laughs> but listen... Not for the purpose of actually proving there is a ghost there, but proving there isn't actually a haunting going on. What they found is that in the majority of the homes where people felt like they had something when they were sleeping uh, that was around them or they felt somebody was watching them and things like that was that ceiling fans, when they were going bad, the motors would create a very high frequency and that Mm. frequency would actually mess with your brain enough that it would give you the feeling that electromagnetic frequency would give you that feeling of being watched or that heaviness and things that people often associate with hauntings. And so I always thought that was a really interesting thing. So when you talked about that high frequency coming from your monitor and really bothering you, that's more than just an annoyance. Like it could really be messing with some of the signals in your head, making you feel certain ways like, Maybe you were feeling you were being watched at times, or you know, there was <laughs> a remember. ghost in your room. 
I don't remember that feeling, but I do remember it. I, I felt really weird when I first started like hearing it happening because I didn't know it was the monitor for a while. So for at least a day or two, I couldn't like find out where it was because it was only happening when I was at my computer. And when I leave, I typically turn the monitors off. Um, but sometimes I would just leave them on depending on how long I'm gone. So it would just felt like it was constantly there. And when I turn on my computers off, it's all gone. So I didn't know what component it was. And then after a while, I just kind of started like listening, like because the first time it happened, it was very subtle. It wasn't super loud, but it got worse and worse and worse. So eventually, I just started like it started driving me nuts. So I started doing investigative work to find where it's coming from. Then I turned the monitor off, and all of a sudden, it was gone. I was like, "Oh, okay, it's this monitor." And then for the next couple of days, while I was waiting for the new monitor to come, I still tried to use it, and. When I knew it was the monitor, it kind of made it worse because it was even more noticeable because I, I knew where it was coming from and I it would instantly be hearable as soon as I turned the monitor on again. I could see you like side-eyeing it in my head like, I hate you, yes. monitor. You stupid <laughs> monitor making your dumb high-pitched noise. Yeah. I've never, I've had the, like the frequency issues. Like I've heard like weird uh, line noise or something on different technology and stuff, but never in a monitor where it just, it was fine for years and all of a sudden it started doing it. So I didn't know what it was. I'm glad I stopped using it because apparently you said it could catch on fire (laughs) from this. So, well, that may have been an exaggeration, but sure. I mean, it's possible. Certainly if there is a issue with getting too much power, not enough power, there's something broken in there. I mean, any electronic technically can catch on fire. So a little bit of exaggeration, but it's possible. Well, maybe. I mean, also it, it could have caught on fire or there it could be possessed by a ghost apparently. So, Or your ceiling fan. Maybe your ceiling fan possessed your monitor and you really need to fix your ceiling fan. Think about That's that. That's why one. I turn my ceiling fan off most of the time, just for that reason. Yeah, there you go. Learning all <laughs> kinds of things in this episode. Hauntings and all. <laughs> So how is your workflow now that you have the same color, the same resolution on both of your monitors? Uh, it's great. Uh, the, the resolution thing, I, I was actually more likely to use the secondary monitor now because I was I had a 1080p and a 4K, and those differences are so drastic that I only use yes. the secondary monitor when I had to, like when I'm doing live streams or something. And now I use it quite frequently. Like right now I'm using it as we're recording the show because I have so much more space. The vertical aspect of the orientations, I like that because I have certain types of applications that I can benefit from landscape and other ones that I can benefit from vertical. And it allows me to have a lot more space on this 4K to do that sort of thing. So I even tested to see like, whether or not a vertical video editing workflow would be good for me or not? And the answer is no, that's awful. I couldn't take it. <laughs> like if I had a much bigger monitor, it was like a 40 inch that was vertical, maybe that might be cool. But the... The tracks would be way too short. Yeah, it just depends because you can maneuver the Caden Live interface really well to customize it however you want. And that worked great. But it just didn't feel like it was big enough to do a vertical workflow. So I switched it back, and it, it's much better in a landscape. But other things like text messaging or any kind of messaging app or a lot of things are having notes on the side, vertical monitors are fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad I have that. And having the extra resolution and the color accuracy is so 
It like I wouldn't I expected it to not matter because I was so used to having the two different things, but now that I have them together, they are exactly the same monitor. It it definitely makes a difference. I think from the going forward, if I, when I have to upgrade at some point, I will just get the same monitor with whatever I happen to pick. I'll just get double of those so I can have the co- consistency. That it does make a huge difference. I had a monitor that went out last week as well. It was the MSI monitor. I actually have a review on my channel for it. It lasted a good couple years, but eventually it just started having this gibberish on the bottom and lots of dead pixels started showing up. Probably was moved too many times, but in any case, I had a Acer monitor that was a 2K monitor that I was using next to my two BenQs that like you have, the 27 inch. And I was using that in a vertical position but honestly, I really never used it. So I ended up moving that to a system downstairs that's top secret that I can't talk about until a later episode uh, to get that filmed. <laughs> but I don't miss not having that vertical monitor. What I love is having two identical 4K monitors side by side. And of course, with GNOME desktop, I have workspaces that I can move things to if I need more real estate. And so I kind of had this epiphany, like when I'm using my laptop and things, I'm always using workspaces. When on my desktop, I had three monitors and I wouldn't use workspaces, but honestly, workspaces are more convenient because really what I need the three monitors for is when I'm doing something like piping and stuff where I have multiple audio programs and I could put all of those into one workspace on a secondary monitor and then have my other stuff that I need in front of me, notes and such right there on the main monitor. So workspaces is a good key to let the operating system do some of the work instead of just adding monitors to do it. Although it looks cooler when you've got like three or four monitors for sure. Yes, definitely do both. It does look cooler when you have multi-monitors and there are certain times where extra workspaces does not work for me because I've also used that on Plasma quite a bit. But there are times where everything I have open, I need to be able to see it at that time and there just isn't enough real estate on one monitor. I'm currently using two, and there's plenty of times that I'm like, gosh dang it, I would love it if I had a third. There you go. Yeah. I think the multi-monitor is, is always a good thing to have, and I, I w- actually used to have a, a triple monitor setup, and I went down to two, and for me, I think it's the best because I have most of my focus on the main monitor, and then the secondary monitor is just when I need it, and that's how I treated the other setup anyway. So it just made sense for me to have just two, but workspaces is a really good tip. And I also wanted to point it out that in uh, certain types of operating systems, they're referred to as virtual desktops. So if you are listening and you're a windows user or a Mac user, they're called virtual desktops there. And in certain cases in Linux, they're called both virtual desktop or workspace. So if you've never used virtual desktops, you should definitely look into them because they are incredibly powerful and pretty much you're guaranteed to have it regardless of what operating system you have. You should have an option to try that out. So I'm hoping this other thing that we're going to talk about is also awesome because we talked about you getting a ducky keyboard and I have to know what are the results for the ducky. So the ducky keyboard is here. We talked about it last time and I don't think it was in my hands at that moment. It was on its way, but now it's on my desk and I'm using it. It's the ducky one three This is the one that you all said was ugly, but I could tell you, you were correct in the pictures, but (laughs) in person, it's actually quite beautiful. Like I really like the look of it. It looks better in person than it does in pictures by far. 
And a lot of that is your perspective of a keyboard too. You're not looking at all dimensions of the keyboard like you can in some pictures and things all at once. Anyways, its profile is beautiful. The RGB is what's blown me away the most in this. I was with all of you in that generally I like the see-through keycaps, but the RGB is so bright and so brilliant on this that number one, it comes with some see-through keycaps. So if you want that for like your direction keys and things, you have that option. But the actual RGB around the keys for the non-see-through keycaps is so brilliant that you don't even notice. I haven't seen a keyboard with this bright of an RGB option before. That's how like bright and brilliant it is. And then you've got these beautifully made keycaps and you have a gorgeous frame with the ducky. Like it's just extraordinarily well built all the way around. I've had no issues typing on this keyboard. It's a 10 keyless setup. Um, so everything as far as getting used to the keyboard and that type of stuff, there was maybe 10 minutes of just kind of figuring everything out because a lot of the settings for RGB and other stuff is actually in your macros are built into Ducky. So there's no software, whether you're on Windows, Mac, Linux, doesn't matter. There's no software because all the functions are built into the keyboard itself, including the macros. You could program the macros through the That's keyboard awesome. itself without software, which is really kind of neat. So I love all of that because it's instantly compatible with any OS that you plug it into. So far, I really, really like this keyboard. I like the look of it. The blue and yellow I think is gorgeous. I like how easily everything is replaceable and interchangeable if you want to. They give you a lot of options even in the box. And I just feel like this is a keyboard that's gonna last a really long time. The one thing I don't like so far, and of course I'll be doing a video review on the DOS Geek channel on this, is there are little pop-out stands to basically you know, put your keyboard at a slight angle. And there are two settings for that. There's a low and then there's a high. So I put it on the higher stands that flick out from the back. And if you move the keyboard kind of forward in any motion that, I mean, it has to be a, at least a little bit of force, but not too much, it collapses. So it doesn't like lock into place very well. Mm -hmm. And so from that aspect, if you're moving the keyboard around, which I do a lot because I have microphones in my face and other things. So if I'm sliding it, I'm sliding it across a mouse pad. It's got a lot of resistance and that ends up catching those legs and ends up folding them back down a lot of times. So if you compare that to say System 76's keyboard where it had the magnetic strip that obviously isn't going to fold because that's not how it's made. It's just a big strip of metal you throw on the back. I think that's actually a better concept than what Ducky did here with the little feet that flick out, which just don't really hold a lot of resistance in, in the case. But if you're not somebody who moves your keyboard around a lot, you're not gonna notice it. If you're not somebody who likes a huge angle on your keyboard, you won't notice it, but something for them to consider in a future model. I do have a question when it comes to the backlighting. You said that it's really, really bright. It's really, really brilliant. I do love backlighting on my keyboard, even though I'm not a fan of rainbow vomit, but I typically have the light turned down pretty low because of sensitive eyes. So are you saying that in order to be able to use the backlight on that ducky keyboard, it has to be full blast because you're not seeing through the keycaps? No, you don't have to have it on full blast. You can lower it and still have your full you know, ability to see the keys and things at night and that type of stuff. The brilliant factor in it is not so much 
its brightness. I mean, that's part of it. And its color depth, which the colors are really deep. They're not muted. It's just the fact that it's lit so well behind the scenes. I'm not even sure how to describe it compared to another keyboard because all of them have a light coming out. But those lights tend to be kind of dull or they don't really illuminate the full surrounding of that keycap. Sounds like it has a halo effect. Yes, this one is illuminating all the way around that keycap fully. And because of that, because they've put so much lighting in the back and it wasn't like an afterthought, you really can see the key super well, even at night, without having to have those see-through caps. And again, see-through caps are an option. You could just replace the caps. They're made to be replaced. And it comes with, like my directional keys, it had ones that came through that were completely see-through. And they're even more beautiful when you see the light coming through them. But they just put really good lighting effects into the ducky, I guess is the way. The, the light quality is first class. Yeah, I was looking after you mentioned the ducky, and I've heard that people talk about it before. I am very curious about it because my keyboard is okay, but it's not great. And uh, but it is interesting. You were talking about the legs that are holding it to the like the kickstand side of stuff to re- raise it up a little bit, having issues of being able to easily knock them down. And I've had keyboards where I had to do that. And but I've had this keyboard for so long that. I didn't even think about how often I move it. I move my keyboard minimum seven, eight times a day. And I mean like significant movement because I'm moving it out of the way for other doing stuff on the desk or I'm changing the orientation or whatever. I do it all the time. And I didn't even notice how much my kickstands were locked because I never had to worry about that. So it's an interesting point that that's even something to consider on the keyboard. And I'm curious if that's like a thing that's related to that keyboard specifically, or is that all duckies? Yeah, it's hard to say. They they like to tout it as they have three different levels that you can put your keyboard at. And you can. In the first two levels, I don't have that issue with. But the highest level of angle, I do have the issue where it collapses. I don't think the furthest angle goes far enough at an angle out to keep it from collapsing when you're on a surface where it would grip, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. You're talking about the ducky being very bright and brilliant. Something that's also bright and brilliant to do is get an account at DigitalOcean. This episode of Hard Radix is brought to you by DigitalOcean because cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back into what matters most to you, and that's building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love, like the Marketplace system, which is so awesome you can super easily be able to quickly set up droplets from all sorts of different types of software. There's so many different options and it's just a few clicks and you're ready to go. It's fantastic. One of the things I love about DigitalOcean. Another thing I love about DigitalOcean is that they can help you regardless of whatever size team you have. You have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. DigitalOcean can help your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 60-day free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. 
2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. So last episode, we were talking about Intel and AMD's new offerings and some of their architecture differences that they have. One of the items that came up in our discussion is the electrical wires used to connect various chiplets on a CPU. And we know electricity is fast, but is it the fastest thing we know? Michael, is there something you can think of that's faster than electricity? Well, yes, because um, my skill of learning hardware, as you can tell, I've been on this show for however many years, and I've learned it so quickly. Is that what you were saying? Is that what yes. you were going to? Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, the most commonly thing to you know describe based on speed is, of course, light, because there's you know, FTL and science fiction and stuff like that. The speed of light is definitely the, the, the most reference that we have for whatever the fastest could be. Yeah, I love that you brought FTL in there, faster than light game. That's a really fun game. In in addition, you know, when you're using wires and electricity, which isn't the fastest medium, but very fast, it means you're using more energy along with heat that's being generated. The electrons are heating up and we want to, and they're bouncing all around, generating all of this heat. And then we have to figure out ways to lower that heat. And so we want to lower the power consumption, especially when you're manufacturing a CPU and you want to lower the amount of heat that's being produced. Those are two really important things. So what other options do you have, though, besides using electrical wires? I mean, it's been the go-to forever. But what yeah. if instead of wires and electricity, you could use that thing, that light, maybe from the ducky even, because it's got some really good lights in it, <laughs> uh, because it's so much faster. And there's a company out there, Light Matter, that's been looking to do just that. They want to connect what? chips using photonics instead of using electrical wires. So I want you to stop for a moment and think about a CPU with a bunch of different chiplets on it. And again, instead of having wires go across to connect these, we're using light to connect these chips together. Okay, sure. That makes uh, my brain's broken. What? <laughs> light. Just using light to send that information between those chiplets. And specifically, sure. they want to use nanophotonic waveguides. Naturally. These are yeah, well, now you know what that means. So, Michael, <laughs> go ahead and explain to everybody what nanophotonic waveguides are. Well, what you can, you can imagine is take the fiber optics of the internet system and then making that incredibly small, and that's how this works. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Because it's nano. I mean, that's kind of, that's not bad. I'm impressed. Really? I'm the awesome. Yes. Yeah. So these are channels that can carry photons at extremely low loss and very high bandwidth. And if you were to do a comparison, even though the technologies aren't exactly comparable, but if you were to do a comparison, that's what you kind of get with fiber, right? Everybody wants fiber in their home. Why? You're going to get a ton more bandwidth than you can instead of using the electrical currents that comes with, say, cable or other types of technologies out there. So it's just a much, much faster way of getting data across and you get much more bandwidth. Very expensive to deploy. Also similar here, very expensive to deploy as well because it's a lot of it's still in the early stages of research. But this isn't just a light matter area of exploration. AMD has been pursuing this technology and Intel has dedicated massive resources to figuring this out for their next generation chips. They even started their own research facility that's entirely dedicated to figuring out how to do this correctly. 
because the implications of being able to get this to market are going to be massive. This is a situation in which Moore's Law comes back to life. A lot of people say Moore's Law is dead. Technology is not going to constantly be doubling itself. This is a situation that's going to set us up for having another doubling of our capabilities, and even more so when we're using light, because that means more speed, more bandwidth, and a lot less energy, which meets all of the criteria of a complete revolution in how we think of CPUs and how they're made today. Now, if you want to understand what this means as far as the bandwidth, according to Light Matter, this allows them to provide 96 terabytes of bandwidth to each and every die. <laughs> what? <laughs> 96 terabytes. Now, if you compare that to AMD's Infinity Fabric, the theoretical bandwidth of that, theoretical bandwidth of that is 800 gigabytes per second. So 96 terabytes per second versus 800 gigabytes per second you can see this is a massive jump in bandwidth technology here between the two. Yeah, that's that's numbers that doesn't really make sense. Like that, <laughs> that's a crazy amount of speed. Like I don't even know if how you know the whole joke about you know every time of era we have new modern technology that's everybody. Someone says I don't even know what we could do with all this. We would never need more than this or like storage or whatever. And that's always a ridiculous thing because eventually. You know, something makes sense to have that. But this one does seem kind of excessive. and Stupid fast. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stupid 96 fast. times more than the other one. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it's incredible. The, the jump in technology here to get this into market. And that's why Intel and everybody is diving into this so deeply. Because it's not just theoretical. Light Matter actually has which we'll talk about in a second, some products out that utilize portions of this technology today. So it's more than just a theory that this can be done. It's something that actually is being done today. Light Matter also says it can fit 40 waveguides in the space of a single optical fiber. You were talking about the fiber optics. So a single optical fiber, they can have 40 waveguides in the, in the size of just that space. This allows them to provide that 96 terabytes of bandwidth to each and every die at less than two nanoseconds of latency. And because this is achieved using optical circuit switching, traffic from any one die is at most a single hop away from another. So now all of your dies, your chips are able to communicate at speeds that frankly, there's so much bandwidth there. Now it's not gonna be an issue of bandwidth between the chiplets, but the chiplets ability to handle that much information coming at them at once. And so in my opinion, this is Moore's law in effect when this technology comes, especially when we can put our hands on it in the consumer space. We've talked about AR and VR being part of the future, but that can't happen in our day-to-day -day lives with that massive amount of data without things like this to make those speeds happen. I think that's a brilliant point. And when you look at like Facebook, for instance, they had their new AI demo. Did everybody see the picture that what's his name sent out? I can't think of the robot's name that runs Facebook or Meta. What's his name? Zuckerberg. Bob. Zuckerberg. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that one. The robot. <laughs> so he sent out a picture, a tweet of like, this is the new metaverse or whatever. And it was a picture of him in the metaverse, his cartoon or whatever you want to call it. 
And it looked so ridiculous and simple and basic that it became like a meme instantly. People were making fun of it. And behind him was supposed to be Paris, which looked cartoony and terrible as well. And so Zuckerberg immediately replied because everyone was making fun of Meta because it looked so weak and had an updated avatar that, you know, was a little more three dimensional and things, but still looked pretty goofy ultimately compared to what I think we want things like augmented reality or these type of virtual reality environments to be like. And so when you look at technology like this, I agree that this is the type of, these are the type of changes that are going to allow for things in the graphical world, the CPU world to really improve tenfold. Cause we know we're capable of making incredible graphics. Sometimes I'm looking at video games and it's hard to tell if they're real people or if they're actually animation. And to me, it's getting to the point where it's becoming more and more difficult. You have to stare at something to really tell the difference between it. And in fact, there is a Matrix demo on PlayStation 5 movie demo game that utilizes this mix of a real film of Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, and then also utilizes animated versions. And you really have to stare at the screen to tell the difference. And I think when we think about things like VR and AR, those are what we imagine those worlds could be like, not cartoony Nintendo Switch looking avatars walking around without arms and things that we have today, which is as good as we can do. But when Moore's law goes into full effect and these technology advancements across the board double, you have the ability to see this stuff in more realistic environments, which that starts getting more exciting and scary at the same time. Now, you may have never heard of Light Matter. It's actually an interesting company because I never heard of it either, and I couldn't figure out why. I'm always looking at news and articles and updates and things with technology. I had not heard of this company. And the reason you probably haven't heard of it like me, maybe you have, but if you're like me, you haven't heard of it because it's a startup. And this has been their dream as a startup to use this technology for photonic AI computing, which, Wendy, you were talking about AI being an important part of this. That's one of the reasons they created this technology to begin with was to utilize this in the most powerful neural networks in the world. And also at the same time, because it's far less power consumption, reducing the environmental impacts, utilizing this. So when I started researching this company more and more, the more I kind of came across this idea that this company has got to be bought, right? I mean, if Intel is creating entire research facilities for this, AMD, Apple, ARM, Samsung, they're all fighting to gain the superiority in this technology. They all would want this, obviously, because this is the next big thing. The easiest way to get this technology is just to buy the company that's making it already, right? That is if they put it up for sale. And I mean... For the most part, everything's for sale. They could offer them enough money. But this really seems like a passion project. So I don't see it being sold right away. And maybe it could stay separate like ARM where they're licensing some of their technology out to AMD, Intel, ARM, Samsung for the use in other devices. I really like that idea better than the idea of them just buying one of these companies, buying it outright, because then it just gets hidden in thousands of patents and one company becomes more powerful than the rest. And it just creates a situation in which the consumer generally suffers. Whereas if it was licensed out to individual companies here, 
that would be a much better option, I think, for the consumer out there and not yeah. put too much power in one company's hands. That's very important. I think that having like when I when you first mentioned that, I would be like, oh, if if it was going to be any company, I'd want maybe AMD or Intel because they are less horrible in the way they treat things like, you know, locking stuff down like the other companies do. So that's but the other idea of terms of, you know, having the licensing thing like how Arm does it, I think that's a bright idea. Well, they're less bad now, but who knows who's going to be in charge of either one of those companies down the road. We True. can thank Lisa Sue for so many of the advantages that AMD has right now, but she's not always going to be the one in head of the company. Intel has definitely seen an uptick in their competitiveness. They also had a changeover in leadership, so it does play a big role into how well they play with the open source community and how well they'll play with it in the future. That's a good point. So this company, Light Matter, actually has products that are out now, like the Envice 4S. This is the world's first general purpose photonic artificial intelligence accelerator. This features 16 Envice chips in a 4U server configuration and using only three kilowatts of power to do so. And this 4S is basically a building block for a rack scale Envice inference system that can run the largest neural networks developed uh, to date three times higher IPS than even the NVIDIA DGX A100, which is very impressive in itself. So this isn't a situation where they're just trying to create a low-powered version of this first that maybe could scale one day to the full power-consuming products that are already out in the market from NVIDIA and Intel and others, but it's actually comparable to the higher end stuff that's out there on the market today with NVIDIA. So I would say this technology is very far along. There are other product passage is claiming a chiplet to chiplet latency of the less than two nanoseconds and a hundred times more bandwidth than the existing chip to chip interconnect solutions that we have today, which Michael, you called that out earlier on that it was almost a hundred times more bandwidth. Um, so if you've grown bored of the iterative upgrades to CPU architecture that we've seen from Intel, that we've seen from AMD, that we've seen from Apple, then look no further than Photonics, that rainbow vomit, Wendy, now is the future. So next time when somebody says RGB speeds up your system, well, it's still a lie. But technically, <laughs> light is going to be used to speed up your system in the very near future, which I think is pretty awesome to think about. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter how much RGB you throw in your case as far as coloring your RAM, your motherboard, the lighting effects on top of your CPU. Agree to disagree. But this type of lighting will make a huge difference in those speeds. And I'm super excited to see where that steps us up, not only in media production. I mean, with cameras getting so much better and being able to retain so much information, those file sizes are getting larger. I can only see that increasing. You're going to need systems that can be able to process that data can you imagine how fast a video would render, especially at our current rate with a CPU and a GPU that was using light to send the data? Instantaneous. It makes me happy just to think about it. Makes me have geek chills just considering the fact. And the best part, Wendy, is it's inside the chip, so you don't have to see the light. 
You don't have exactly. to see the rainbow vomit going on. Now, one last question for you two is, let's say Light Matter continues to do their own thing. They don't have any consumer stuff going in. They're just working on servers. Out of the three companies or any others you want to add in here, Samsung and others, which CPU manufacturer currently do you think will get to market first with this technology? AMD, Intel, Apple, Samsung, which one would you put your money on is going to win this race, assuming nobody buys Light Matter and they're all just working on it independently? AMD. Yeah, I would probably go AMD as well. Just because AMD is the more risk-taking of all three of those. And Intel takes forever to do anything. And Apple usually isn't the first to do anything ever. They just kind of do it better, so to speak, quote unquote. I wouldn't say that it's always better. So I would go with AMD as well. Well, and they've also achieved better results with changing the size of their dies over the course of the last little while. So I can see for them just with how they're able to process things internally, that this might be an easier switch for them. Or they already have the stuff built in within the company saying, this is a goal we're trying to meet. And they have people working together well enough to make that happen. Whereas Intel, as we've talked about before, just hasn't been able to step that up. We know Infinity Fabric that AMD created is a very similar concept of trying to make the interconnects between these chiplets faster or more seamless. So they they definitely have the knowledge and capability of and the research and development that they've done to produce that, which obviously they could use here. Intel though, throwing money at the problem, that's not always the answer, but they have an entire research facility built for this. They know there's a lot on the line for them right now as far as getting their reputation back. So you never know. I agree with Michael though, 100% that Apple's probably the least likely to come to market with this first generally because they like to take something that's already out there and proven and then do an iterative upgrade to it to make a better version of it. And truthfully, not all of it's better, like the mouse in which you have to turn it over to plug it in and charge it uh, shows some (laughs) of the stupidity that can happen at Apple. But when you look at their silicon design, there's no denying that they took a architecture and made it better in that case. So there's definitely capable of doing it, but it'll probably be well after everybody else has. Yeah, that makes sense. This is a really fascinating topic. The idea that someone has actually somehow figured out how to use light to do like CPU computational stuff. It's like that's just crazy. I mean, dare I say it, this has been enlightening. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> I'm not even going to uh give that any recognition. None. I except for you just did. But you know what else <laughs> is enlightening? That would be our sponsor, Bitwarden, because they're a password manager that we can use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. It comes with one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, vault health reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation, plus priority customer support. 
make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you're going to want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project and sign up for that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about Tilt Pan Camera from Sony. This thing looks absolutely amazing. It is meant specifically for video, and we've talked about some of these regular cameras that can do stills, but they're made for vloggers. This one is not made for vlogging. It is made for movie production, TV show production, and it is full of all kinds of goodies. So take a really high-end video camera and put it on its own gimbal. Now, one of my favorite things about this, and I was kind of worried about, okay, so how are you going to control it? Instead of having a dedicated application that you'd have to install on your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatnot, they're actually using a web app for this, which I really, really like. So it doesn't matter what system you're on, you can log into this web app and be able to control your camera. Now, there is a downside of it when it comes to the security of your camera as well. I'm not exactly sure how they're setting that up, but it's easier for them to keep the app updated for features on your camera, and you don't have to worry about, is it compatible with my system? It'll work on pretty much anything that this web app will run on. Now, it is using 4K footage on this camera. It can do up to 240 frames per second. The native ISO ranges, this is absolutely incredible. 409,600 for an ISO. Now, do you guys remember what ISO is? It's how much light gets let in. Yeah, exactly. So native is typically 100 for the sensitivity of your camera sensor. And every time you go up Sometimes it's in 50s, 25s, 100, but every step you go up, it's making that sensor a little bit more sensitive to light. And they're able to do this to have this extremely sensitive sensor without all of that background noise because they're already handling that with the processors that is going on directly inside right behind that camera sensor. And they make it even more sensitive to light, makes your low light even better by using a back illuminated full frame sensor. We're going back to illumination. On your standard sensors, those transistors, those wires are inside, are right in front of those pixels, those little buckets that you need in order to fill with light. On a back illuminated sensor, there isn't actually any light on it but they've taken those transistors and those wires and they've moved them behind those photo buckets so the light can go directly in there without having to pass through or get bounced back from hitting a transistor or a wire. Why doesn't everybody do this? Because they are far more expensive to make, but Sony on some of their higher end cameras have already been putting these out. They already have amazing low light ability and they're bringing that technology to this camera that is dedicated for video. I'm glad you explained that because the only backside illumination I knew about was the RGB I had on my toilet seat. So now I understand <laughs> what it means for cameras. 
Big there difference. is rainbow vomit all over Ryan's house. Yes. <laughs> all over. Now, there is absolutely a ton of things that you can put on the back of this camera. They have the main body of it, which your camera is attached to that allows you to pan and tilt the lens. And there's kind of a box that is attached to it. And this has all different kinds of inputs that are really cool. From HDMI, you can do audio in with an XLR camera. It's got LAN availability, so you can pipe that video straight to something else. Optical attachments. Now, this doesn't come cheap. You can't have a camera that you can put on rails that has fluid movement with its own built-in gimbal for cheap. I want guesses on what it costs body only. I'll give them a grand. I mean, that's what I would pay for. But it has dip switches, so make it 1500 because it has dip switches <laughs> okay. on the back. Yeah. Well, I want to basically make sure that I win this from Price is Right rules, so 1501 well, technically, price is right rules, you would win, Michael, but you're both way off. The base model of this, no lens, is $9,700. Wow. Googly, googly gop. That's a lot of money. <laughs> googly want- gop. It's so, it's so much money. It made Ryan invent a random word. <laughs> <laughs> if wow. you actually want a lens that comes with it, that would be a 28 to 135 millimeter zoom lens that would give you all kinds of different options. That package is going to cost you $12,200. It is not made for your average consumer. This is specifically made for people that are making bucks with the camera. Yeah. I mean, if I could drive it to work, I would buy it. Like if it also had <laughs> wheels and an engine and the ability to take me from point A to point B, but at $12,000, that's a used car, good used car range there, a really nice brand new motorcycle. Uh, that's really hard for me to comprehend. But I do know these cameras are ultra expensive when you're doing movie and film and photography. And honestly, that's probably a really good price in comparison to a lot of options out there for movies. So maybe it's not such a bad deal out there. But I love seeing Sony continuing their domination in the camera market by introducing things like this, which I think are risk-taking. I mean, how big is the market out there for a $12,000 camera? And I assume, much like computers, what happens is a lot of this technology eventually, as they perfect it, like the back illumination and things, make their way as it becomes cheaper to produce into more price-friendly options down the line. And I would say this is still very price friendly when you're talking about video cameras in general. If you look at RED cameras, which are very, very popular for video, they're running you $35,000. Yeah. Or if you are wanting something that has that built-in feature, you wouldn't be able to get that with any of the RED cameras. You'd have to add a gimbal system on top of that. So it's almost getting a two-in-one Hasselblads are body only, and they can run you $35,000 for that. So I say in price range of professional video equipment, Sony is knocking it out of the park with price. Nice. Well, listen, if it's a great price out there and you're into making films, go check this one out. For me, I'm going to wait till it comes with a handlebar and two wheels and an engine, and then I will (laughs) pick one of these up. Uh, or maybe, Michael, we can uh, do some really good parkour, get like a million 
or 40 million YouTube subscribers, and then we could afford to buy oh, one of these. Yeah, or we could have uh, Sony sponsor us, do like a, spe- a sponsored video about this and show us uh, doing our par- parkour with it, and it could just it would pan and tilt and follow us around. I think it'd be worth oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. It's definitely what we need for the next scale so we can get all of your guys' movement in 4K action pan fluidly. Yes. I mean, just the thought of it gives me geek chills. <laughs> <laughs> I do talk about this stuff and bring it up because the things that Sony and other companies are doing on their really, really high-end cameras end up coming down, trickling down over the years into some of their less expensive bodies as the technology increases. So the wonderful thing that we can see with Sony using this technology and improving their use of the backlit sensor means that later on, you're going to be able to get this for a cheaper price that's so coming to the enthusiast instead of just the professional. Well, Sony, I have a grand with your name on it. Let me know when you get a camera down about that price and we'll talk. <laughs> Until Perfect. then, that's it. Our 68th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to tuxdigital.com to check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. And you know what? We'll see you next time for another bright and brilliant episode of Hardware Addicts. (laughs) Oh, you should have ended with Illuminate Your Backside. I, did, I was. <laughs> I, we, we, you should edit that in. <laughs> All right. <laughs>